right. Now, like we've been doing, let me see who today brought your own Bible. Come on, let's see it. Awesome, awesome. I love it. I love it. Makes my pastor heart happy. We are in a series right now called Bring Your Own Bible. And uh, we, have been, uh, we have been just doing some work with Scripture. Uh, th- now, this series has been a little different than things that I, I typically would do. Uh, m- many, many of these Sundays, we have simply paused at the end and just, and just read long uh, portions of Scripture together. We've read Psalm 19. We, we read Matthew chapter 5. And, uh, and hopefully, uh, I, I've, been, I've been trying to help you understand the Bible a little bit more. Because uh, one of the reasons why a lot of believers don't read the Bible is because they just think it's just too hard to understand. And uh, so I'm trying to give you some tools to help you fall in love with the Scripture. Like, like, like these are things that when I came into uh, knowledge of it, man, it just made Scripture come alive for me. And so I feel like... Like, like God has put me on a mission in my life to help save the Bible for people. Like, like there's a lot of young people these days that have turned away from Scripture because of the, the you know, they have their, their too hard to deal with file box full of Scripture verses. And, and I feel like I want to I save the Bible for people so that they can, uh, that God can reveal himself to them through the Scripture. And so uh, when we first started this, we started off talking about the reliability of Scripture. We talked about uh, manuscripts and how it's, it's a measurable thing that scholars use to, uh, to find the reliability of sources, of documents. Now, that same process that they use for the manuscripts and documents that f- now fill our history books that we use in schools and universities, when we use that same process and same questioning of those documents to determine reliability, and we, and we do that to the Bible, uh, what we find is that the Bible far exceeds their standards for reliability of, of truth, reliability of manuscripts. And so we talked about that in week one. And, and then we talked about that the Bible is essential for growth. It's essential for spiritual maturity. It's essential for effectiveness. So like, we kind of answered the question, why study the Bible in week two? And last week, last week we talked about progressive Revelation, and I know, like you hear progressive, and you're thinking maybe it's political. It's not at all. It just means moving forward. And uh, we talked about progressive revelation in the Bible. That because really, there's two questions that that people get asked, and there are two things that we all know are true. And so, as parents, we work so hard to get our kids to to be successful and and, and maybe go to university someday. And they go to university, and they go to philosophy 101, and their faith gets destroyed. Because the professor or, or some other person asks them these two questions. They say, is Scripture inspired? And, of course, we all would say, yeah, yeah, of course it is. Well, and does God ever change? No, I think God, God he doesn't change. Well, then they turn to our Bible. And they point out a verse in it, and they say, then why would you want to serve a God like that? And so we talked about how the Scripture is this, is this story that we are eavesdropping into so it's a, the, a story of redemption, that God is redeeming people. And when we, when we go to some of these obscure places in the Old Testament, what we find is that, that there is, that, that, yeah, we have to remember though, we have to remember the Bible is a very ancient book. It was written in ancient times, many of these scriptures, thousands of years ago, they were penned. And, and they were written at real places on earth 
at a real time, dealing with real people in a particular culture, particular uh, geographic place, and, and, and they had their own kind of culture that is coming through the scripture. So we have to kind of understand it in that, in, in, in that portion of a historical arc. And so when we see some of these scriptures that are in our too hard to deal with box, that we would say, why would God treat women that way? Why would God treat people that way? What we, what we, what we actually are doing is we're, we're zooming, we're kind of like on your phone, like we are zooming into to the, the historical arc, we're, the, the, the line of history. We're zooming into this really tight portion of scripture, and then we're trying to say that this is what God is like. But to, figure, but to really understand what God is like, we actually have to, we have to zoom out the picture and see that over the course of history, God has been at work. And what he did in Genesis, what he did in Deuteronomy, he wasn't done yet. He wasn't done yet. And so what we found is that, that God was progressively moving humanity forward until the full revelation of God in the risen Christ. And so we see these obscure stories, like we talked about the one where, where uh, Moses says, hey, when you take a city and you see a beautiful woman, you can take her as your wife, but shave her head and clip her nails, let her mourn for 30 days, and then you can marry her. And, and people look at that and say, is that inspired? Does God ever change? Well, what do you do with that? But, but the real question is, is did that scripture... Uh, make their day better than the day before? And the answer we found out is, yes, it does. Because the day before, women weren't seen as people. They were seen as property. And all of their neighboring nations, they didn't take women as their wives. They took them as slaves. They treated them like garbage. And then they were done with her. They'd sell her, trade her. But Moses says, I feel like the heart of God says, if you want her, to, if you want her then marry her. Be responsible for her. And shave her head, clip her nails, that was a sign of mourning in our culture. So let her mourn like one of us. Now, was God done redeeming women's rights? No, he wasn't done. But on that day, it was a quantum leap forward in redemption for women. And the Bible is full of stories like this, where if we look at it and just take it as it is, we, was, we make the Bible quite ugly. So what we said is that the Bible is not a static record of who God is but it is a progressive revelation of what man thought God was at the time that was such a giant leap forward that it was moving humanity until the final revelation of the risen Christ. And so if we make the Bible a static record, we make it very ugly. And if you want to hear more about that, you can always go to newlifeforkokomo.org, and all of our messages are, are archived online there. And so that kind of brings us up to today, where today I want to talk about the Bible in context. The Bible in context. Now, if you're new here today, uh, again, we, we have just been exploring the Bible. I'm trying to give you some tools and some teaching on Scripture to help you understand it and uh, to help you maybe uh, digest it, to help, and I hope to inspire you to love Scripture and to, uh, that, that you have the ability to have God revealed to you through what is written. So let's talk about the Bible in context because uh, one of the, sometimes one of the mistakes we make in when our approach to scripture is taking the scripture out of context. In, in other words, when the author wrote what they wrote, they meant something for those people at that time. And when we take it out of context, it means that we are taking scripture to mean something else that wasn't originally intended. 
And so there are some things we can do to help see the Bible in greater context. Now, I, I will have you know that, that some of the stuff we've been talking about and some of the stuff we'll talk today is like, it's like, isn't like children's church level. It's like some of it's more university level. And I'm just going to try to like make it easy for me to understand so that I can make it, hopefully make it easy for you to understand because some of you are, are much smarter than me. And uh, so I just have to make things very simple. So hopefully I can do that for you today and, and help you understand. So when we talk about the Bible in context, there's all kinds of different contexts. There's literary context, historical context, cultural context. There's even geographic uh, context. But we're, we're really just going to talk about two today because there's two that I think will help you uh, the most. But, but before we get into that, I want to talk about two things, two words that are maybe very rarely used in church. Uh, I know I very rarely use these words in my everyday life, but whenever we talk about uh, studying the Bible in university, we use these two words. It really is really when we're talking about this overall theme that is called hermeneutics. Now that's an odd word, but hermeneutics is really the kind of learning how to study and interpret the Bible. So uh, maybe, maybe there's a few of you that maybe you went to Bible college back in the day, and, 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 or maybe you took a class, and it was called hermeneutics, and it was how to read and study the Bible. So I want to give you some, some, little, some little tools to help you there. These two words that are very odd and we don't use very often are, is this. Is, is one is exegesis versus eisegesis. Now, when's the last time you use either one of those words? And actually, if I took it off the screen, I wonder who here could spell those words. Uh, one time when someone said exegesis, I thought they were talking about executing Jesus. I was like, oh, Easter. No, not at all. That's not, that's not what it means at all. So, I actually, so let's define these two terms, and, and then how is that going to help us with the Bible? I, I'm sure you're wondering that. I know when I, when I think of, or when I first saw exegesis and eisegesis, like, how is this going to help me with the Bible? It's going to help you with the Bible. So exegesis is this. Exegesis is using the words in the text through the lens of their original context to determine their intent. Now, if that was like too much of a mouthful, then, then this is all you need to know. Is that exegesis is it's the meaning of the text is drawn out of the text. So when we approach Scripture, when you're reading the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 or whatever, wherever you're at in Scripture, it is getting the meaning from the text. So we are drawing interpretation, we're drawing meaning out of the, the text. We're, 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 we're trying to understand the original intent of the author of that passage and drawing meaning out of it. Okay, so if that's exegesis, okay, thumbs up for exegesis. Okay, you all get that? All right, let's talk about eisegesis. Eisegesis. Um, is approaching the text with one's own biased cultural lens leading to conclusions not intended by the original author. In other words, the meaning is then asserted onto the text instead of drawn out of the text. Now, thumbs up for eisegesis. Do you all understand that? Okay, if not, uh, eisegesis is actually a really, really big problem today. It's a really big problem that when, um, because the things of our culture, uh, and it's been this way for thousands of years, are many times in conflict or in or contrary to things that Scripture says. And so, some believers that love Jesus, love Jesus, 
but have a lens of our culture that they try to reconcile culture and scripture together. And so essentially what happens then is we, 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 we do this eisegesis. We are putting, we're putting conclusions onto scripture instead of drawing meaning out of it. So that looks like this. That looks like taking my sin and struggle that I don't understand why I sin and struggle with and putting that onto scripture and now validating or justifying that my way of living is God's actually okay with. That would be eisegesis. That would be that, 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 you know, the way I treat people or any kind of bias I have and I, and I put it onto scripture and find a way to make it okay. And, and this happens a lot, especially in our culture right now, because I, I do think that over time that culture and scripture will continue to drift further and further apart, that you either need to be hot or cold. <laughs> but to be lukewarm, it's somewhere in the middle. And of course, Jesus says, yeah, I'll spit you out of my mouth because no one likes lukewarm things. And so I said, Jesus, again, it is approaching scripture by taking my bias and finding a way to justify it through scripture. And honestly, uh, people are really good at this. People are really good at using Scripture in order to justify things that Scripture doesn't justify. And, and, and so different ways of life, different sin, different struggle, uh, different biases, people will make okay. Did you know that in the late 1800s that churches used the Bible to hate black people? It's true. They used the Bible to hate black people. And I think we'd all agree that's not okay. And the Bible doesn't mean that. But that is the danger of eisegesis when we bring our biases and we put it onto Scripture instead of the powerful tool of exegesis, which means to think of it as like uh, excavate. You know, we're drawing meaning out of Scripture based upon the, 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 the intent of the original author. So here's what you need to know about exegesis, eisegesis, is that the original meaning of the text, of uh, the original meaning of the text to the original audience, guess what? It's still the meaning today. It's still the meaning today. So whatever the author wrote, whatever Paul wrote in his letters, it's still what he means today. But now, that does beg some other questions. Because again, this is about the Bible in context. So sometimes that means there's some deeper things that we need to chew on to understand, especially culturally. Where did this happen in the arc of history? Because we can look at some of these things in the Bible, and again, if we make God static, if we make it a static record of who God is, we make the Bible very ugly. So we have to understand the, the Bible in context. Is this helping you or am I boring you? I'd hate to be boring. Okay, so it's still the meaning today. And so when we, then, when we, we go to Scripture and we are, we are exegeting it, in other words, we're, we're drawing conclusions out of it, we're not putting conclusions into it, uh, that there's an important concept, it's very easy to remember when you try to find application and, and find uh, meaning from Scripture, and that is this, and that is there and then, here and now. So write that down if you're taking notes. There and then, here and now. And so this is the question. What did that mean, there and then, that still has meaning to me, here and now? 
And you may not know this, but that's all I do on Sunday mornings with you. <laughs> that's all I do, is I look at Scripture and I say, okay, what was it there and then? And then what does it mean here and now? And that application should move us to a response that leads us to life transformation. So there and then, here and now. And that's what happens when we properly bring, take conclusions out of Scripture instead of saying, well, here and now, and we try to put it in the there and then. Is that, does this make sense? Do you see how many times um, uh, people with good intentions have come to bad conclusions? It, because it, it's going to continue to happen. People with good intentions come up with bad conclusions because of some of these, these tools, these, these principles here. So l- l- let's look at uh, one called, uh, let's look at literary context. I told you I might be a little bit boring today. I'm going to try to make these things exciting somehow. I'm, we're just going to try to do it. Literary context. This is one, of the, this is one way to see the Bible in context. Uh, literary context includes words, sentences, and paragraphs preceding and following a passage. It's how a verse fits into the larger portion, or I mean larger purpose, of the book that it was written in. This is why literary context is important, because if you were to, let's say, uh, take one sentence from what I say this morning, and you want to tweet that, post that, share that, how many of you think that somebody, depending on what you shared, could take what I said to mean something completely differently? I mean, how many times do we see these things happen uh, by, by journalists with maybe different news, uh, uh, news broadcasts? They'll take something that somebody said, one thing, and then run with that one statement, and then in an interview, the person who said it says, but did you, did you hear what I was saying before and after that? Like that, that's, not what I, that's not what I meant. You have to understand it in, my, in literary context to understand it better. Um, you know, we, we do this sometimes maybe in, uh, in, in a married life. Okay, in married life. Well, you said, I, I did. It's literally my words. But what I was saying was, see, sometimes there's a difference between what I said word for word, but what I said by what I was trying to say in context. Does this make sense? This happens, to the, this happens to the poor Bible all the time. People take a verse, and uh, sometimes people say, this is the verse of my life. And I'm like... If you knew what that verse was in context, that wouldn't be the verse of your life. <laughs> so let's look at an example of literary context in the Bible. Um, we're going to, uh, uh, let's look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. This one's going to be on the screen. At the end, if you want to put your finger somewhere uh, for later, put your finger in Luke 4. And we'll get there at the end. Uh, but Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. Maybe your version says so, or maybe your version says therefore. So therefore, in everything, in what? Everything. Okay, I want to just make sure that I'm not boring you too bad. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. In everything. This leads me to some questions. Like, uh, I'm sorry, but my question is, what about me? (laughs) What about me? And everything do unto others what I would have them do unto you? Well, what about my needs, man? This sounds like 
Like Jesus is saying, be a doormat. Let people push you over. Let people walk all over you. Your needs don't matter. Just do unto others as you would have them do unto you, whether or not they ever, 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 ever do it back in everything. Do it, do it unto others as you would have them do it unto you. Now, this is called the golden rule. The golden rule. I also find it interesting that many things that the world teaches, they don't know, but they're taking it from the Bible. They are. Isn't that cool? The golden rule. Everybody knows this rule. Treat others how you want to be treated, right? It's from the Bible. It's awesome, and it's good, but it kind of like, if you kind of go, go crazy with that one verse, it could mean be a pushover and that your needs don't matter. Nobody's taking care of your needs. You just, you just, you just always give, 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 and you're empty, and you're tired, and now you're annoyed, and you're like, ah, but treat others how you want to be treated. There is a key in this verse that I want to, to teach you, that I want you to see throughout Scripture everywhere else that you read. And that is the first word. In some versions, it is the word, therefore. Now, where you see a therefore, you have to look to see what it's there for. Is that easy to remember? All right, so where there is a year, therefore, look to see what it, say it, therefore. We'll say it again. Where there's a therefore, look to see what it's, you have to see what it's there for. In other words, you have to see it in context. That something was being said, and then because of something that was said, then it's saying, so because of what was just said, this now, in 1 Corinthians, there's another really good version of this where for, 50, that, that, that for 57 verses, the Paul writes, and then it says, then there's a therefore. In other words, he gives this therefore, and, and, but all the other 57 verses were all about the, the, really the, uh, the, the subsequent consequences of the risen Christ. Because of all of these 57 verses of the risen Christ, therefore, and he gives you a good one. It's really awesome. But when there is a therefore, you have to look to see what it's there for. Let's, so let's look to see why there's a therefore in Matthew chapter 7. So let's, now we're going to back it up one verse this time, just one verse. Sometimes you've got to back up a paragraph, a chapter, or read the whole book. But we're going to back up one verse, and this is what it says the verse before in Matthew 7, 11. It says, if you then who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Therefore, in everything, do to others as you would have them do unto you. Now, this is what changes it a little bit for me. In other words, when you submit your needs to God, God and, and, and that even you who are evil know how to give good gifts, that your heavenly Father is going to do good unto you. And so because the source of goodness in your life comes from the greatness of God, and because that's true, you should in everything do good to other people. Whether or not they ever do good to you, because you know that you are locked in, grandfathered in, you are, you are founded in the goodness of God that he is looking after your needs even if other people don't. 
So be a doormat? No, don't be a doormat because I am rooted in the love of God, in the goodness of God. It is chasing after me. It is falling down on me because I've submitted all my needs to him. So I don't need my needs met by man. My needs are met by God. But because my needs are met by God, because God's goodness is on my life, I can be good to people even if they're crappy to me. Can I say that? Don't tell the pastor. So therefore, do good to others. Why? Because even you who are evil know how to give good gifts. Your father's going to take care of you if you just ask him. So now that feels a little different. Now, now it feels like, you know what? I can do good to people even though they're stinkers. Because me, as evil as I can be, his goodness is following me. And because of that, I'll be good. So where you see a therefore, you have to look to see what it's. Therefore, okay, I hope that helps you. Now when you start to read scripture and you bump into a therefore, you go, that's my clue. I have to see why it's therefore. I hope that, all right. So literary context is, is understanding that verse in the context of what is written. So sometimes that means you need to back up and read more, or that means you need to continue and read more. And because we talked about this in our first part of this series, and when we talk about Bible 101, the Bible is divided up into chapters and verses, which was added later by man to help organize the scripture. The chapters and verses are not inspired. It's just organizational stuff. So sometimes to understand the Bible in context, don't allow verse and chapter markers to uh, prevent you from seeing things in more context. All right, so literary context. Thumbs up if you got that one. You got it? Okay. If you don't, uh, talk to me later, I guess. Um, uh, okay, here's, here's the next one. Now let's talk about historical context. And we, this is a little bit about what we talked about last week in the prog- in progressive revelation, that things are happening in the arc of history, and we understand where in the arc of history an event took place. It can help us understand uh, more about what's going on underneath the surface. So historical context. Here's some questions. How does the text fit into the arc of history? What else was taking place in the world at the time? What were some social, political, and technological influences on the writer and on those whom it was written? So these are questions that, that to, to answer help maybe bring the, the verse into more historical context. And then ultimately, we can exegete meaning from the, 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 uh, uh, the, uh, what the original author intended to mean. All right, so, so now if you put your finger in Luke chapter 4, uh, you can turn there. Uh, if, you, if you didn't bring a Bible today, there's an orange Bible in the seat uh, near you. You can grab that, and uh, when you do that in the orange Bible, it is on page 701. little hack for those of you using the New Life Bible. And I'll tell you what, if you do not own a Bible, the Bible in that chair it's yours as a gift from New Life Church. What I want you to do is I want you to write your name in it, and then I, want the, then I want what's written in it to be written on your heart, okay? So take that home with you if you don't have a Bible, and it is yours. We're in Luke chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 14. Now, this is the part where we're going to read a little bit more than we usually would because I want you to kind of hear this in context. And uh, there's going to be a bit of a uh, plot twist in this story 
that at first when I would read this, I'd be like, what just happened? And so let's see if you catch it. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. Everyone what? Praised him. I want you to remember that. Everyone praised Jesus. Man, this guy has got some cool things to say. Verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as, as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. Now again, we talked about this in week one. When you see it was written, what's it usually talking about? The Old Testament. So he reads from Isaiah chapter, what we call Isaiah chapter 61. This is what it says, verse 18. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then, like a true baller, Jesus, he says, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. That's all he did. He just read that, sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on Jesus, almost like they're like, what's going to happen next? He began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Watch verse 22. Remember, they praised him. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked? So, these people are in awe of Jesus and his teaching, praising him. They're all amazed. They all spoke well of him. Here comes the plot twist. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote to me this quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what you have heard, what uh, we have heard you you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, Jesus continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. Now watch this. Listen very carefully. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet, Elijah was not sent to any of them. Any of who? He was not sent to any of the widows in Israel, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many Israels, Israelites, many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was healed. Only Naaman the Syrian what is going on here? Because watch what happens next. All the people that spoke well of him and praised him, well, watch this. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw Jesus off a cliff. But Jesus is a ninja. He's the OG Verse 30, but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Pretty cool, but confusing. 
he reads Isaiah 61. They're like, oh, this guy. He's pretty, this guy's good, isn't he? Yeah, he's good, man. What's he going to do next? I don't know. But everybody speaks well of him and praise him. He says, there were widows in Israel in Elijah's day, but, but God showed mercy to the widow in Sidon. Kill him. Throw him off a cliff. There was many with leprosy in Israel, but God didn't heal them. He healed Naaman. How dare you? What is going on here? When we understand this in a historical context, we can learn exactly what's going on here. You see, the Israelites had a conflict with Sidon, with Sidonites, with Sidon. This conflict went on for generations. The people Jesus is talking to were really convinced that they were in and Sidon was out. So if you're a Sidonianite, you're out and we're in. Why? Because the Bible says so. That's their answer. The Bible has a lot to say about Sidon and Sidonianites. But it all goes back to a story in Genesis chapter 9. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to tell the story, and hopefully I'll tell it really well and really quick. But in Genesis chapter 9 is when Noah gets off the ark. Remember, he builds the ark, 40 days of rain. Noah gets off the ark, and uh, he must not be in his best place because he grows a vineyard, he makes wine, and he gets absolutely trashed. Uh... I've never been drunk a day in my life, but Noah was, was like naked in his tent drunk, if you know the story. So Noah is naked in his tent drunk, passed out. His son Ham walks in and sees his dad in all of his glory. He must have thought it was a, a real crack job, real funny. And uh, he goes and tells his brothers, Dad's passed out drunk in the tent. I don't know if he's laughing or what, but he tells his brothers. His brothers then... They go to the tent. They cover themselves with a blanket of some kind. They walk into the tent backwards so they do not see their father, and they cover him. When he wakes up and he finds out what Ham did, he was livid, as you would be. So I imagine he's got a really bad headache, and, his, and he finds out what's happened to his, with his son Ham. So what Noah does is he says, Ham, come here. He says, cursed be Canaan for what you have done. Canaan is his son. Canaan is Ham's son. And Noah, Noah curses Ham's entire family. Now, curses in the ancient world like this, they were, they were heavy. A curse, it was a really big deal in the ancient world. And it was seen as a dark cloud that would follow you not just the rest of your life, but your children's, children's, children's lives. You were, you were cursed. And so Canaan was cursed, which means his family was cursed. And, uh, and Canaan, including Canaan's oldest son, was also cursed because of this event. And Canaan's oldest son was named Sidon. And Sidon had a lot of sons. Actually, so many so that Sidon became a great nation. The people of Sidon. 
And in Judges chapter 9 or 10, uh, Sidon actually uh, came into conflict with Israel. Like their family, where they came from. So their nation of Sidon battled the nation of Israel, and they won. And actually, Sidonites and Israelites, they were in conflict forever. Generations, they were in conflict with one another. And, uh, and, and so Sidon is mentioned throughout the Bible, all throughout it. The Sidonites uh, even would have conflict with Israel again and again, and it but it all started. You know where it all started? It all started when a father cursed a son. Wounds have a way of lingering. And especially wounds caused by a father. And when a wound from a father is not dealt with, it is likely to spread from the original victim, the original wound, and it spreads to those in their proximity. So why are these two nations at war? Because a father cursed a son. We see these things happen today. But there's more on Sidon all throughout the Bible. If you remember King Solomon, King Solomon marries several Sidonian women. And they end up trying to they end up convincing him to worship their, their god, a goddess, Assyria. King Ahab, he marries a, a Sidonian princess named Jezebel. She was trouble. Isaiah the prophet prophesies that terrible things for the Sidonians that they should be ashamed and find no rest for all the wrong they have done. The prophet Jeremiah talks about the day that there would be no help for Sidon. The Sidonians are the, the ongoing bad guy in the Bible. And then generations later, in Jesus' day, the tension between Sidon and Israel still remained. Most people would not even consider holding a conversation with someone from Sidon. And they certainly would never go to any land of Sidonianites. The bias against the Sidonians is traced all the way back to when a father cursed a son. And when biases like this grow and brew for generations and generations, they can become very hard to break. Israelites are in, Sidonians are out. We're God's people, you are not. We're on his side, and you are on the enemy's side. But watch what Jesus does. In Mark 7, Jesus goes to Sidon. Nobody goes to Sidon. Jesus went to Sidon. In Matthew 15, Jesus has a conversation with Sidonians by which he says he was amazed by their faith. 
In Luke, people from Sidon come and he heals them. In Jesus' world, Sidonians were believed to be cursed and they were treated as such. But did Jesus care? No, he did not. Did Jesus heal them? Yes, he did. And so now you kind of see where they were praising Jesus after he read from Isaiah. This guy's awesome. Everyone speaks well of him. Oh my goodness, watch what he does next. He says, there were many widows in Israel, but God sent Elijah to the widow in Sidon. And there were many with leprosy in Israel, but God didn't heal any of them. He healed Naaman from Syria. And those words about got him killed. About got him thrown off a cliff. So here's some questions for you. Don't answer them out loud. But did God write Genesis? Moses did. Moses wrote Genesis. Did God inspire it? Yes, he did. But Moses wrote Genesis. Did God curse Canaan and Sidon? Did God curse Canaan? No. Who cursed Canaan? Noah did. And when we come to Scripture with our own bias, we end up validating our own sin. Now, sometimes the Bible says what God says. And sometimes the Bible just says what happened. Noah cursed Canaan. It happened. It's a part of the story. Even the, even the bad parts. The Bible tells on itself. It's not a good part of the story, but it's what happened. And people held on to that for generations. That Sidons are out and we are in. They were cursed, and we will treat them as they are cursed. And Jesus shows up. He says, let's go to Sidon. Jesus shows up and says, hey, you remember all the way back in, in the Old Testament, there were widows? Yeah, I didn't send Elijah to them. I sent him to the widow in Sidon. Ooh, fighting words. Because they just found out that God was nicer than they thought. They just found out that the love of God actually expanded even to Sidon. So what happens when you find out the love of God expands to people that you have called out when you've called yourself in? We could read biases into Scripture. But instead, allow Scriptures to break off our biases. We have the worship team come up. And we're going to wrap this up real quick. Um, You see, when we make the Bible a static record, when we read the Bible out of context, out of literary context, out of historical context, outside of cultural context, we end up with some things that happened, and hopefully they're not happening much anymore. But there's entire groups of churches that use the Bible to hate black people because they point to the Bible and take it out of context. They bring an eisegesis into it instead of exegeting its worth and content out of Scripture and allowing it to change us. 
We don't, need, we don't get to go in and change what the Bible says. It changes us. In Jesus, he flipped the script on these people when he showed them that what they had called cursed for so many years, this racial tension that they had with Sidon, Jesus said, yo, even back in the scriptures you know and read, God was nice to the widow in Sidon. God healed the leopard, and even when you weren't. And he showed them that God loves Sidon all along, but you missed it because a father cursed the son. And they held on to that for way too many years. So I then begin to wonder, what have I been holding on to for too long that the love of God wants to conquer in my life? Well, first of all, I would say this, that the number of people that are in this room today, I know that there are likely some father wounds that need to be dealt with. Um, I don't have the time to go into my story, but, but I, I was deeply wounded. And right before Jenny and I got married, that came to my realization in and, 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 and such great timing because I realized had I not dealt with father wounds in me, it would have manifest in hurtful behavior in my marriage and family. And so I'm thankful that that got brought up, but I had an opportunity to resist it and say, uh, 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 I suppress that. I don't want to think about that. I hate thinking about that. I hate those memories. I don't want to go there. And that's the typical response. And I don't blame you, but what I will tell you is it is a bondage that will last for generations if you don't deal with that. And really, all it takes is choosing to forgive. Even if their behavior never changes, and they can't take back anything they said or did, but you can break free through forgiveness. I encourage you to do that today. And break off that wound. And biases, they need to be broken. Sometimes there's biases towards leaders because you had someone in authority one time that, that misused their authority. So, so you, you kind of have a chip on your shoulder towards, towards maybe your boss or a church leader, whatever it is. You know, break that off. And that we would all would relearn the love of God because it's even bigger than we imagined. So if you would, would you stand with me? We're going to pray. may hear me open prayer like this a lot is because it means something to me and it's, and it's this Father you're the best dad I've ever had you're the best dad I've ever had And Lord, I pray for those here today that might feel feel cursed, that there's just a dark cloud hanging over them. And maybe it comes from some kind of wound. And Holy Spirit, if you are revealing that to somebody right now, I just pray that you would give them the courage and boldness to just say, I forgive, I forgive. Help me to forgive and move on. Help me to heal. Help me to be made whole. 
that I may never repeat these things in my life, but I'd be set free to move on and create a new legacy, a new pattern for my family and for my future. And this isn't going to weigh me down any longer. And God, may we always continue to relearn the love of God. And Lord, I pray that as we continue and to seek out your scriptures, that your scriptures would then seek us out, finding every nook and cranny of our hearts that might be crooked and dark and biased. And we wouldn't try to, to put culture onto scripture, but allow your scripture to cre- create a culture within us called the kingdom of God. And that that kingdom would be manifest in our homes, in our workplaces, in our conversations, in our worship, our generosity. And it would build your church. How, I love, how we love you, Lord. We thank you that, that your word is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. It helps us with our next step, and it shows us and gives us vision deep into our future. With every head bowed, every eye closed today, maybe you're here today and you say, you know, Devin, I, I just need prayer today. I feel like there, there's something in my heart I'm dealing with, and, and uh, you know, maybe it's a wound, and maybe it, uh, I need to deal with some forgiveness and resentment I've been holding. No one look around. Would you just slip up your hand so I know who I'm praying, praying for today? Just you can just slip up a little finger, whatever you got to do, so I can see. Awesome. Awesome. Hands up all over this room. Thank you. Thank you. Now, if everybody, would you just hold your hands out like this, like you are receiving a gift, just like this. Would you just receive the love and forgiveness of your Heavenly Father? his healing, his restoration. I want you to know that you have a Heavenly Father that believes in you. You have a Heavenly Father that is proud of you. He's not ashamed of you. You have a Heavenly Father that believes in your success. And he bankrupt himself to bring you healing and wholeness. When he gave his son to come and live the perfect life that we couldn't, And then he died a criminal's death on the cross so that you, in this moment, right here, could be free from the chains that have bound you and imprisoned you for this long, but no more. Would you just receive that grace and mercy of our loving Heavenly Father? And now, just turn your hands upside down, palms facing the floor. And now, God, we just let go of all resentment. God, we let go of unforgiveness. We let go of everything that we've been clinging on to and holding on to. It's like baggage. We're the person that brought too much baggage on a trip and we're weighed down by it, but we just let it go. We lay it down. Breathe easy in Jesus' name. The burden is lifted. And now, God, I pray that you'd help us with next steps and further steps as we move forward in our life with you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Hey, New Life Church, thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your first time joining us and you'd like to learn a little bit more about New Life Church, you can text the word CONNECT to the number 765-347-9127. Again, thank you so much for joining us and we hope to see you guys next time.